Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I always say another edition of, this is a little, you know, if we're, if we're into numbers, this is a little bit of a bigger edition of the podcast because this is episode number 200 of the podcast. Uh, while that we made it this far, nobody said we would. <laughs> uh, but here we are. We've made it this far, and it has been a lot of fun. I thoroughly enjoy talking uh, multiple times a week with everybody here about the Washington Commanders. Have had some great guests along the way, and the one guest who I would say that people respond to the most is the guest, the, the main guest today, and that is former Washington at Redskins head coach Jay Gruden joins me today. We t- we had a really fun conversation. We spoke. On Monday, I'm talking to you guys on Tuesday morning. We had a fun conversation. I did my best to not do the usual things we do with Jay Gruden, where we go back and we only talk kind of about, hey, what? tell us about Kirk Cousins and RG3, and what was the deal here with you, Pierre Garçon, and Deshaun Jackson? I'm not saying we didn't talk about the past at all, but I am saying we, I tried to spin it a little bit forward, have a little fun with Jay. So things we discussed include, what's the biggest uh, battle right now between offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators, and how does he kind of v- view what is going on there? We talked about if you've got one drive, you've got to get you need a, you need to score one drive. Who is going to be your quarterback? We discussed how does you know, Jay obviously coached Terry McLaurin, so I asked him what does Carson Wentz's presence actually mean for Terry McLaurin season what's to come there uh we also discussed jay's social media habits uh and i asked him flat out obviously he wants to be an nfl head coach but does any part of him kind of look at look at here and think boy i'm kind of glad i'm not here because obviously since he was let go in in during the 2019 season it has been nothing but chaos here in Washington, so we kind of discussed that of wanting to keep your job, but not maybe wanting to deal, perhaps, with all the chaos that's been going on here, uh, for sure, and we've gotten to a bunch of other different topics, so really fun conversation, per usual, with Jay Gruden. Um, all right, in addition to that, this week is the NBA draft, um, wanted to sort of put a little bit of a bow on that, so joining me today for the podcast, Chris Caputo. New head coach for George Washington University. He, of course, spent the last several years as a, the top assistant for the University of Miami program. Last year, the Hurricanes went all the way to the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament. They knocked off Auburn along the way, and that meant uh, going up against Jabari Smith, potentially the number one pick in this upcoming draft. He also, of course, plays Duke multiple times a year. Duke could have three players picked sort of in that lottery range. So we discussed those players. We did so in the context of the Wizards. And we also talked a little college hoops, uh, kind of what he's looking, uh, what he's facing at GW, a new roster. And, of course, you know, what does he think about the idea of the local schools playing each other? I think those of us who still pay attention to college basketball locally would always like to see that. We, As we know, it doesn't really happen with any consistency, but we'll see if Chris can, can you know, change that from his end on the GW side. So we'll get to all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on 
iTunes or anywhere you do your podcasting. And as always, I greatly appreciate when everybody has a moment to drop a rating and a review. It just takes a moment, but it definitely helps a lot. Um, I, if you missed it the other day, I sort of put a recap on, or I put a cap, or I should say, on the offseason program with Logan Paulson. Uh, always a, a really interesting uh, conversation with Logan. We got into a lot of, so I, I think, pretty honest conversations about where things stood with Carson Wentz towards the end of the offseason. And, and also, Logan shared his thoughts on uh, Jerron Payne's impact, the tight ends, the the defense overall, Chase Young's recovery, uh, and a bunch more. So you can check all that out, of course, uh, on uh, anywhere you can find the podcast and you know go check out all those deep dives that we've done in during the offseason program um, I just want to say quickly here at the top again I'm talking to you on Tuesday morning on Wednesday will be the hearing up on Capitol Hill for the oversight committee further looking into the Washington commanders organization as we know or in case you maybe you've been have sort of been checked checked out. Uh, Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell were both invited to attend. Roger Goodell will participate virtually, but Dan Snyder will not. He has told the committee that he has a prior commitment out of the country. Uh, if you, p- people who have been tracking his yacht w- w- show that his yacht is parked in Cannes, France. I guess the Cannes Film Festival is uh, happening here. So I guess apparently that's where he is. Um, the committee and, and, and Dan Snyder's attorney have gone back and forth with various statements and letters explaining their side. You know, bottom line is he's not going and the question will be, will the committee, this question in my view, will the committee eventually subpoena him to attend? Now, obviously they won't do it to attend this one, I wouldn't think, because it's obviously going to be pretty impossible for him to make it. But what about some other time? What about saying, hey, over the next 60 days, if you're saying this was an un, a, a date that didn't work for you, over the next 60 days, pick a day and let's do this. Will they force the issue? I think to me that's been the question throughout all this. You know, it, there's been some important information that has come come to light about the organization and, um, you know, uh, various accusations and, and, and so on. But that said, you know, where is this ultimately going? And will anything that happened here get done before the midterm elections, because right now the Democrats are running the committee. If, in fact, they were to lose the House, the Republicans would take over, and presumably these uh, in th- th- this investigation into Washington would fade off. So, you know, there's only so much time, and we'll, what will the Democrats do, if anything, uh, to push this forward? Debate whether they should or shouldn't, but if if you want. But just the point is, in this in this setting. What's going to happen? That's where we're at now. I think it'll be interesting to see this week. What does Roger Goodell say, if anything, about Dan Snyder? No doubt the commissioner is very adept at talking and saying nothing. We've seen that over many a press conference. This is a little bit different, though, with Congress. And will he, you know, we'll see what he, how he answers questions. Is he just completely, you know, walled off? Or does he, you know, offer up any kind of insight here? I'm not betting on it, but we will see what happens. That's going to be t- uh, Wednesday morning, at ten o'clock. Um, I, I don't. You can probably find the stream online, presumably, and maybe it'll be on a C-SPAN thing. I, I doubt that, I guess, but I, I'm not positive. You can uh, surely though go to the Oversight Committee website, and you'll be able to find uh, a link there. Um, all right. Other than that, I, I don't think we need to talk too much about 
the commanders, you know, everything is still sort of status quo since we spoke last with Logan Paulson. Uh, but I do have observations up on the athletic. I did, uh, it'll be about 10 overall. The first five were up, including how Carson Wentz capped off his, uh, his off season program, the, the impressive debut for Jahan Dotson, where things are with Terry McLaurin's contract and more. So you can check that out on the athletic, but for right now, let's get to it. Here is my conversation with former Washington Redskins head coach, Jay Gruden, and then we'll get into uh, some NBA draft talk and local college basketball with George Washington basketball coach, Chris Caputo here on the standard room only podcast. All right, joining me as promised, of course, you know him. He's a uh, favorite guest. Every time I have him on this podcast, people get excited. Of course, former Washington Redskins head coach, Jay Gruden, who, like many of us, spent yesterday uh, on Father's Day watching the U.S. Open. Happy Father's Day to you, of course. But you did this. You watched the U.S. Open after you had your own member guest event. You were just telling me about how, how was it watching the U.S. Open in general, but also in relation to your own golf game well it was nice to see a couple pros miss five footers like i did at my member guest the match so yeah it's just good to see that they're humans as well and i'm not the only one that misses those short putts like watching like that will zalatoris who is just having a great year except for the fact he can't quite close the deal he's in the he's in the mix at every single major you know right there he was again this time he he was okay yesterday with this putter but like whenever they do close-ups of his putting oh my god it gives me the, the heebie-jeebies it looks like very you know, it's got those, these hitches. It's very odd. I hope you're not taking lessons from him. I might try that, though. My putting's so bad, I'm willing to try anything. He be, I mean, I got heebie-jeebies. I think I'm straight back, straight through. I might try what he's doing. Give it a shot. Can't be any worse. Have you ever done, like, any type of, like, I'm sure you've taken golf lessons, but have you ever done anything, like, overly, like, the way, like, sort of like Kevin Costner in Tin Cup starts doing these, like, wildly wacky uh bits to try to figure out how to how to get his game right have you ever done anything particularly uh never had a lesson i've never had a lesson really i take her on tiktok right now i follow a lot of these golf pros on here and at least i go to the range with some kind of new thought or new idea i watched lee trevino cut i've got a couple good lessons from him it's helped me a little bit so it's kind of fun to see all these different ideas and approaches to the game wait lee trevino in person told you something no on tiktok TikTok. wait (laughs) This is so much that Jay Gruden is on TikTok, but so is Lee Trevino. Yeah. Oh, he gives lessons all the time. Lee Trevino, I've seen Phil Mickelson's short game, Rory McIlroy with his driver. I mean, it's fun to watch these guys. Why Why have you never had a lesson? You clearly are in position to do that. Do you just have no interest in doing it? You're just a natural, and you're just like, I, I don't want to put in that extra effort there? Uh, I'd rather just go out and play myself than take an hour lesson with somebody who's, you know, my my – I, I'm not good enough. I'm too old to really take lessons right now. I'm just going to try to figure it out myself. <laughs> I, I, I gotcha. Um, I think the real story though, is that you were on TikTok. What is that? Do you have your actual own account or is like you're, you're sponging off your kids or something? Yeah, I just sponge off them. kind of follow some people, you know? Well, you're, you're more, you're, you're more hip than I am. I've, I've, I've drawn the line. I'll look at a TikTok video if it's put into my Twitter timeline, but other than that, I just can't. I, I it's a bridge too far for me. I'm an old guy on that on that front. I can't I can't make it out to go over the TikTok world. There's some creative stuff on there. It's pretty interesting. Is there anything like from like a football perspective you ever look at and think, oh, that's not that bad? 
you know, you, you keep up with a lot of stuff. You know, they uh, there's a lot of stuff going around the league that you may not have known. Um, you pick up on there. There's some trending stuff on there that you can see, some new dances that you can see, some <laughs> good golf videos, some political videos, some comedy. I mean, you get a little bit of everything. To, to, well, okay, we I think we need to now see what what are the dance videos that Jay Gruden is uh, watching, but also perhaps trying to emulate that this is now. I like the, the way you jiggle, jiggle. <laughs> yeah, is that is that, that is that, like, is that, like that one. really? <laughs> uh, all right, well, we're, so, somebody's going to have to uh, do a uh, a, 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 mat, a cut up of Jay Gruden's face on somebody doing the, one of these uh, videos to that song. Uh, that 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 would be. Uh, Tremendous. Um, on my list of questions, since we're here in the social media realm, is are you actually on Twitter or not? What is the the people want to know? I feel like I you have, might be. Uh, my, my son started an account for me. Uh, that's an official Jay Gruden account, but I haven't posted anything. I think he posted something uh one time for me, but I haven't picked up on it yet. I'm still waiting to make my Twitter debut here pretty soon. All right. Well, I'm gonna when I post this. I don't have an Instagram. There is a fake Jay Gruden Instagram out there. I hope nobody thinks that's me. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. Fake, yeah, fake, fake Jay Gruden Instagram. Don't do that one. But I'm going to find it here. I, I, I think I have your Twitter. I'm when I tweet this uh, podcast out on Twitter. I'm going to at you on there if you're good with that. So that way the world knows. I mean, you need to get some followers already. You, okay. You, all right, we're we're good with that. Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, good. Then we'll see how Jay Gruden interacts in the world of uh, social media. Um. So I said in my intro that, like, I, typically when when you come on my podcast or other people's podcast, we go we end up going down the route of talk about Kirk Cousins and RG three and everything that happened before. And I don't want to really do that. I feel like we've done that a lot. Things we we may I'm sure it'll come up organically, and maybe one of these two one of these questions will sort of lead us that way a little bit. But by and large, I'm going to try to steer us away from that and talk more current stuff and just other other randomness here with 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 jay and and one thing i wanted to ask you is you know with you obviously are an offensive minded coach there's always the fun debate fun uh matchups between the offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators and things evolve over time uh and and now you know you have you know how, how does an you know how does a the west coast offense and then how does a defense counter counter that uh, things like that what do you see right now as the big you know x's and o's battle that's being waged between offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators right now oh wow i think it's something that evolves every year you know it was rpos it was zone reads were pretty hot there for a while um I, I think uh the runs play action game is up there right now uh playing nickel defense versus base playing base defense versus uh sub personnel on offense is a big debate for a lot of teams uh blitzing i think blitzing has taken a step back a little bit i think there used to be a heavy blitz uh team among a lot of defensive coordinators in the league and now i think teams are playing a little bit more uh four-man rushes more coverage disguising their coverages with their four-man rushes more so uh this guy doing more stunts up front with their four-man lines um less blitzes like the Zimmers, the double A's, the, the backer jams and the, the all outs, less of that, probably more so. Uh, and then offensively, just trying to figure out how to get your playmakers involved in the game creatively uh, and make it as easy as possible for your quarterback. You, you mentioned the, the, the sort of the less emphasis on blitzing. Like I know like when we watch, like say Patrick Mahomes, the, the, the numbers are like off the charts when he, uh, when he's facing a blitz and, 
last year, certainly the beginning of the year, they were struggling offensively, at least relative to their norm. And it yeah. seemed in part was teams were choosing to not blitz to go with more of that Vic Fangio too deep safety look, keep the play in front of them and make them have to grind their way up the field. Is that kind of like a reason, like what is sort of an example what you're talking about where a guy like Mahomes is just so deadly because of his combination of arm strength and accuracy and, and uh, mobility that it's better to sort of just keep it in front of him, keep the play in front of him as opposed to letting him take advantage of opportunities created by blitzing or otherwise. I think so. Some of these guys, if you keep them in the pocket and make them throw on rhythm, I think sometimes you feel like you have a better chance defensively than if they get outside the pocket, they break contain, uh, they pick up your blitz and your defensive backs around an island against some of these skilled receivers that they have with Kelsey and, and Tyreek Hill. You want to be able to double some of these guys from time to time and, and get have some eyes on the quarterback as well, some zone drops. Where the defense can all see the quarterback, where he's looking and where he's throwing as opposed to, hey, let's be in man-to-man and rush five or rush six and, and put our guys on an island. So uh, there's a lot of merit, too. As long as your four-man rush can be effective and get some pressure, the needed pressure, then sure. But some teams don't have that luxury. Some teams don't have a four-man front that can get a lot of pressure, so they do have to bring a fifth or a sixth element. So uh, it depends on the team that you have. But, you know, some of these quarterbacks that are so good outside the pocket, so athletic, the Josh Allens, you know, Aaron Rodgers, what he does against the blitz, some of these quarterbacks – uh, it's better uh, to play three-man rushes and four-man rushes from time to time, get more coverage. Uh, what's the – I always wonder this. When when you're getting ready for a season as a play caller, obviously you have to work within the concept of who's my quarterback, what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, and you obviously look at the opponents to a degree, but there's, you know, you know all, the, you know, all the division teams plus teams outside the division. So, so it's not like one – strategy is going to work against every single group how do you go about determining what you really want to do like in relation to where the league is is going if the league is going with the, the too high safety look do you how do you uh, do you look to combat that or do you just say yeah, screw it I'm going to do what I'm going to do and not worry about what the trends are how, how do you kind of go about attacking an offseason in that way as a play caller well you have to be uh, you have to have a general idea what the trends are what the defenses are doing against you but you also want to have a theme uh, it's all about what we do, and we're going to get great at what we do. And that goes for your defense. That goes for your offense uh, alike. So if we're going to be a four-man front team, we're going to rush a quarterback with these four. We're going to get after the quarterback, play coverage, uh, disguise our intent, great on defense. If we're going to be a, a run-first team, play action, uh, boot team, we're going to get really good at that. Uh, if we're going to be a drop-back team, a, a RPO team, a zone read team, we're going to get good at that. So uh, you guys got to figure out uh, your – uh, meat and potatoes on both sides of the ball and make sure you strengthen your strengths. And obviously you got to address your weaknesses, but you want to have a good theme uh, with your team that here, this is about us and what we do. And here's what we are going to do. And here's who we are going to be. And this is our identity. The biggest thing is you got to figure out your identity on both sides of the ball, special teams included, and make sure you preach that every day in training camp and, and make sure once the regular season hits, you have something to fall back on uh, if things don't go well. Is it tricky? Like, obviously, like every you got to get a quarterback, right? We all know that if you don't have a quarterback, you really don't have a lot of a chance to win. But so not all quarterbacks are the same. Some guys are pure pocket passers. Some guys are more runners or have mobility or, or struggle throwing deep or better in the short range. Is it is it is the is the the job in terms of finding a quarterback, not just finding a good one, but also ideally finding one that suits what you want to actually call rather than having to completely adjust everything for that player. I feel like that would be kind of important for a guy, like, for a play caller to want to get a guy who's in sync with what they actually do. Ideally you want a quarterback that fits what your 
uh, mentality is as a coach, you know, what you want to coach, what you're good at. You know, I, I come from a West Coast style offense and I wanted to get a West Coast type quarterback. I could handle a lot of information. I got a, a guy that can handle stuff at the line of scrimmage and change plays and, and have total control and command of our offense. You know, if, if that's not the case, if we had more of an athletic quarterback, then I have to adjust to him. Uh, so it's very important to know who you have, try to get what you want. If you don't get them, uh, don't be stubborn. Don't try to stick a square peg in a round hole. Make sure you adjust to the players that you have. And, you know, we had Josh Johnson and our game plan was a little bit different than when we had Kirk Cousins. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Fair enough. All right. Speaking of quarterbacks, I'm going to veer off to a different topic. You have, I, I guess we'll call it the Super Bowl, but whatever. You have one game to win. You, you know, you got to get this done. You, I'm, I'm sorry, no, let me rephrase that. You have one drive to win. You guys are whatever. You're trailing. You need to get a touchdown. End of the game. Who's the one quarterback that you want to pick? And you can go obviously with any uh, all the obvious ones, but I don't know. Maybe it's somebody in your head you like, man, that guy in the, in that spot. That's who I want. Who's the quarterback that you're going with? Well, I'd take uh, Brady. I mean, he's done it. You know, I think you want a guy in that situation that has uh, poise, confidence, and command, right? And nobody has more poise, confidence, and command over the game of football than Tom Brady. And his job is to make every everybody on his team feel that same type of confidence and poise and make others better. And nobody does that better than Brady. There's some guys with better skill sets. You might rather have Mahomes and Josh Allen and obviously Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but when it's all said and done, you got to have that dang confidence and that feeling that this will be accomplished. We will win this game. And nobody, nobody in the history of the game can put that uh, feeling amongst their other players in the huddle more so than Tom Brady, in my opinion. How about the guys who haven't won a Super Bowl? So take out Brady, take out Rodgers, Mahomes, et cetera. Is there some, who, who from like that up and coming? I think, uh, I think I think by watching him play in the playoffs and regular season, coming off an injury, I think Joe Burrow has that swag to him that uh, just just you can tell that the players love to play with them. Uh, play for him. They're going to play hard for him. He's going to make them better. He's going to compete his tail off. He's a fun guy to watch. And then obviously Josh Allen, uh, he'd be he'd be another guy just because of his size and arm talent. No matter the weather conditions, uh, field conditions, uh, he's going to be able to spin the ball in there and, and make some things happen with his legs as well. Yeah, I mean, Joe Burrow, I, I'm, I'm with you. His, what, he, what he pulled off last year, um, you know, even in that Bills win, he got sacked like nine times and didn't wilt at all and it just kept coming and coming and only you know because Aaron Donald you know is Aaron Donald did they prop basically not pull that out I think you're kind of overlooking though the uh 1992 arena football league MVP as the, as the option for this uh, question that wasn't part of that uh question otherwise I would always choose myself <laughs> well what, what what was it like that what's that like in that moment the two-minute drive you've got to get the score um, what, what's that like, whatever love, you know, whether you're in college or wherever you were playing, what's that adrenaline? Like, did, did you, did you feel that you really like thrived with that or could you, you know, or do you, you know, or, or how is it hard to, uh, overcome that pressure in that moment? Oh, no, it's awesome. That's, that's what, as a quarterback, that's what you play for the, the, the competitiveness, uh, trying to win games and trying to get your team in the end zone and, and make those last minute horrific, hor- uh, heroic decisions and throws under pressure, under duress. Uh, that's the most fun about being a quarterback. The, the games where you're up 35 to nothing or whatever, those games aren't as fun as the games where you're down. You got to have some adversity. You got to come back. You got to compete. You got to hit, get hit in the mouth and make a big throw. Uh, those are what makes and breaks quarterbacks. Some guys can do it uh, consistently. Some guys just can't. 
is it too much to ask which of your quarterbacks that you actually coached you would take in the in the uh in that final drive scenario i'd probably take uh you know obviously kirk i mean he had some big time plays and uh in games you know he brought us back in tampa uh probably to save my job in in year two uh you know he did some good things against green bay i mean we won the playoffs uh you know his ability to get the ball to the players uh to the skilled players on time and accurately was pretty good you know obviously colt never got an opportunity with his injuries i love what he could do and alex smith i only had him for nine games we were six and three with him but i would have no problem with him as well those guys were were awesome and uh great competitors smart uh knew the situations and and did the right thing all right speaking of your former players that you coached here who is somebody that you still who who which of your former players here do you talk to the most in real life? No, I really don't have a, a I'm not I don't really have any of them on speed dial or I'm not on a text chain with anybody like that. You know, when I see the guys out, uh, I give them a big hug and tell them I miss them and all that stuff. Um, I'll text Deshaun Jackson every now and then. I talk to Brandon Sheriff once or twice. I see some guys on the golf course. I saw Ari Quanjo the other night at dinner. It was pretty cool. Uh, so. I'll, uh, Jonathan Allen on the golf course once. So I'll call Holcomb, you know, so I don't really keep in touch with any of them. Uh, I saw Colt McCoy at Sean's wedding. You know, obviously he's a guy I play golf with, uh, but nobody really on speed dial, but I do have a lot of respect and I do miss those guys. All right. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, I think the world wants to, wants to see the Deshaun Jackson, Jay Gruden text thread. I'm just gonna, just gonna say that just for the, just to put it out there in the universe. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, you mentioned. Norm, I talked to Josh a little bit. I did text a picture of uh, me and Odell Beckham at uh, Sean's wedding and sent it to Josh Allen. So this guy's got it out for you. You know, he's <laughs> trying to instigate that matchup again. It was pretty funny. <laughs> nice. Well, so speaking of McVeigh's wedding, this was a question on on my list here. Uh, obviously, there's a guy that had to be like a who's who of NFL people there, or maybe other people from you know, I don't know, entertainment world, or I don't know what. Who was the most interesting person that you spoke to? at Sean McVay's wedding and what'd you talk about? Well, I think I had the guy who I was like, Andrew Andrew Whitworth is awesome. You know, he, we had dinner with them. My wife and I had dinner with him the night before the wedding and uh, just keeping up with him. I was with him in Cincinnati for three years and uh, he really helped me uh, get the job here in Washington with what he did with our offense and the leadership that he had with our team, him and Andy Dalton and AJ Green, obviously, and Marvin Jones, we had some good players, but but Whitworth was the catalyst, uh, the big time leader of that team. And uh, just catching up with him and all the things that he's accomplished and talking to him about his awards, the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award, was pretty awesome. He's one heck of a guy, one heck of a player, and uh, the league will miss him. Was there any, like, celebrity sightings there? You are like, oh, look at that. I'm surprised. I didn't know that person was going to be here. Uh, Not really. You know, the toughest thing I asked Sean is, like, how did you limit this? They had 200 people there, and how did you limit this? How did you come up with your guest list? Because, you know, there's some – so many guys that he's coached that I'm sure he's close with. It was pretty tough for him. And he said, that was, that was, that was hard. Uh, but pretty, the usual suspects guys he's worked with Matt LaFleur was there, obviously Cliff Kingsbury, uh, all his coaches, Raheem Morris, a lot of the coaches on his staff right now uh, were there. Um, some ex players that he coached were there. He, he chose the captains of his football team to come. Um, uh, and then, you know, just acquaintances from over time. Well, I guess when you're a coach and you have to do the 53 player cut every year you guess you get used to trimming lists down right so i guess that's yeah. some of the practice there <laughs> that's for sure <laughs> um all right let me ask you a uh a, a a football question uh obviously you coach terry mclaurin and we'll presume that he's going to eventually 
get a new deal here with Washington. Carson Wentz, I think unquestionably, is going to be the best quarterback he will have uh, since he's been here in the league. What? How do you think tangibly Carson Wentz is going to help Terry McLaurin this year? Well, I think he'll help, obviously. Anytime you get a quarterback with his size and arm talent, uh, he'll get more opportunities with the deep ball. You know, him throwing to – you can see uh, how – Michael Pittman kind of got a little bit better last year with his stats um, with Carson. Um, but Carson, typically, when he's at Philadelphia, he was a, more of an inside-out thrower. He, he loved throwing to Zach Ertz. He loved going to a slot receiver, Jordan Matthews, if I recall. Um, not a big wide receiver down the, down the field thrower at Philadelphia when he had a success. He's more of a, you know, throwing to his backs. Uh, Darius Sproles was there. I remember him throwing him to a, a lot. So I think the backs and Logan Thomas will be happy. I think the backs McKissick and Gibson will be happy as well. And he does like to work the slot receivers. So uh, he'll spread the ball out a little bit more. I don't think McLaurin will get huge numbers, but I think his numbers will be uh, probably right there around a thousand yard range. Um, But I think everybody else will also uh, feel the rewards of having a more established quarterback, more veteran type quarterback that understands how to spread the ball around this may be a little unfair because you actually coached cousins and Alex Smith and haven't Carson Wentz. And I don't know how much, you know, you had a chance to watch him over the last couple of years, but like, I think like the general sense is Carson Wentz is the best quarterback here since Kirk cousins and the, and a healthy Alex Smith. But I guess the question is, is he actually sort of in their same tier? He was at one point for sure when he was an MVP candidate, but obviously the last couple of years have been a little bit different. Do you think he's actually in that cousins Alex Smith range that you had or do you think there is a difference I think it's close I think uh he's done a lot of great things you know Philadelphia he put up some good numbers he's always had a pretty good touchdown interception interception ratio um obviously last year at Indianapolis is probably disappointing for that entire franchise not going to the playoffs losing to Jacksonville their last game um so they made a change to get uh Matt Ryan but uh yeah I think um with all the pieces that Washington has offensively uh, there should be a lot of things for him to choose from. A lot of players that he can throw to, like I mentioned. Um, the defense should be a little bit better. So should be an exciting time for Washington football team. Now, coming off the injury, now I, I still don't think he's been the same type guy he was early in his career. But I think there's still a chance for him to continue to develop as long as the players around him are a lot better. I think last year at Indianapolis, they didn't have a lot of weapons. They had a great running back, obviously, a running game. But when they did have to throw it, you know, you're talking about Matthews and T.Y. Hilton was on that fence a little bit. Zach Pascal is okay. They didn't really have a tight end presence. Mo Alley Cox and Jack Doyle. You know, now he's got these presences uh, that he likes to work with Logan Thomas, a tight end. The backs, he loves throwing to the backs. And he's got great speed outside with Doxon and, and McLaurin. And Samuel coming off, working some slot stuff, some jet sweep stuff. Uh, they got a lot of weapons that will make it a lot easier for him, more so than it was in Indy last year. Um, yeah, I mean, I think definitely one of the narratives is that this is the best group of weapons that he has and probably the same, certainly the same for Scott Turner. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can uh, do once they get McLaurin back and Curtis Samuels out there every day and things along um, those lines. Um, to dip back into your time here, what was your favorite play call or coaching decision that you ever made when you were here in Washington? Uh, I had a couple of them, probably, uh, you know, I, probably not that abnormal to do it now but we went for it on fourth and one against the Packers on Thursday night football we were up five at our own 40 yard line with about five minutes to go I remember and I, I remember if we punt it uh, I'm looking over there I'm seeing Aaron Rodgers and he was getting hot I'm like heck that let's try to get this first down <laughs> eat up some clock and then score we did 
ended up winning that football game. Onside kick against the Bucks. Uh, we were uh, that was the code red game uh, that kind of sparked us a little bit. We got the onside kick against Tampa Bay, came back to beat them when we were down, I think, 24 to seven at the half. Uh, and I think uh, another one of my favorites is probably the quarterback draw on Monday night football. Nobody gave us a chance to win against the Cowboys and Colt McCoy's quarterback draw to seal the deal against the Cowboys is pretty cool. All right, let's go the other way. One, I give, I give you the chance for one do over coaching call, some sort of decision you had to make here. What's one thing if you could do over you would? Oh my gosh. There's a lot of do overs. Uh, obviously there's not, there's things out of my control that I wish guys were healthy. You know, I wish we had Alex Smith, Trent Williams, Jordan Reed, uh, Darius guys, um, all those guys. I mean, you take away four powerhouse players. Um, uh, it's hard for any team to win, but, uh, from, my standpoint of a do-over, I think when I signed my second contract, I wish I would have asked for total control over the roster, free agency, the draft, uh, and, and coaches uh, who I hired, who I kept, and all that stuff. Um, that's very important. And uh, if I didn't get it, I shouldn't have signed the extension, in my opinion. Money was great. I'm very grateful for that opportunity. But um, I think Bill Parcell said it best when he says, uh, you know, if you're the chef and you don't get to pick the ingredients, you're not going to be a very good chef. And I think that's kind of stung me a little bit. I, I I totally get it. That's got to. I mean, I'm you know, yeah, 100. percent I totally get that. And obviously, Ron Rivera does have that, and that seems like a a, a perk for him. Because, uh, like you said, yeah, if, if you're the one having to make the decisions, you should be the one determining who's going to be on your side to help you execute the things the way uh, the way you want. Um, so to that point, I guess to or sort of piggyback off of that, what's a memorable draft or free agent debate that you remember when you were here? I think every draft and every free agent, there's going to be a debate. You got your offensive coordinator, your defensive coordinator, your personnel people, your GMs. And the problem is we had too many people debating, um, uh, but we had debates over everybody. I think, uh, and I don't want to talk about the negative ones, but, uh, you know, the Matt Ioannidis one was pretty funny. Cooked me and Scott McLuhan went after pretty good on Matt Ioannidis. That's well documented. Uh, you know, the couple of the draft picks, early draft picks we had. Uh, Bryce Love, I can remember almost uh, going absolutely crazy taking Bryce Love, not because Bryce Love was a bad kid or a bad player. We just had Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, Samaj. We we were loaded at running back, and and Bryce is coming off a major injury, and we needed more offensive linemen or another defensive lineman at that time. That was a major argument that we had, uh, and I love Bryce and the thought the thought that he could maybe rebound from his injury, but we just didn't need a running back at that time. Uh, Sua was an interesting one because we drafted him to play a position that he had never played really in college, you know, and nothing against Sua, but he was an outside linebacker, more of a nickelback in college. And we were expecting him to come in and be a starting safety or a dime linebacker, which only plays about 10% of the time in the game. So that was a little disappointing. Um, uh, but you know, obviously there's going to be debate. The most important thing when you do have a debate, when the decisions are made that everybody's on board, and uh, there are no hard feelings. It's a team decision. You got to move on. Yeah, I think that's where I would struggle. I feel like if I was in a knockout, drag out debate in a boardroom at some point, I'd be like, "Ah, oh, come on. You guys, what, you guys yeah. know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you, you could go over just about every decision we ever made uh, in free agency and in the draft. There's going to be a debate. It should be a healthy debate. It can't be anything personal. Nobody gets their personal feelings involved. Uh, when the decisions are made, they're made. 
uh, there has to be a debate in order for it to be the right decision. You have to hear the pros and the cons of each side, and you have to move forward. What's best for your football team? I just think sometimes we didn't make those decisions. Uh, we've made more decisions based on what people thought we should do as opposed to what we should have done as an organization to make our team better and our culture better. Um, completely nonsense question. You got you got to make an argument for or against one of these uh, statements. All right, here we go. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. A hot dog is a sandwich. Both teams should have the ball in overtime. Pick one of those and make an argument for or against. Well, obviously, uh, hot dog's a hot dog. It's not a sandwich. Die Hard's not a Christmas movie just because there was a Christmas tree in it. It's uh, the Bruce Willis movie. And uh, the rule that this should be enforced in the NFL, it's very simple. Same rule we had in Arena Football League. Each team gets the ball once. And the winner, the team in the lead after that possession wins the game, period. It's easy. So if you're at the coin flip, you're probably going to defer because you're going to see what the other team does. If they score a touchdown, you got to go down, score a touchdown. And then you have to decide if you're going to go for two to end the game or obviously kick it. If it's tied after one possession, it goes into sudden death. Next team scores wins. Uh, it'll end all debate. It's easy. It's simple. Uh, and it's very, very exciting. You know, if you hold a team to a field goal, you go down there, you got fourth and five at the 20-yard line. You're going to go for it and try to win it, or you're going to kick the field goal and then rely on sudden death. There's a lot of decisions, a lot of strategy involved with that as opposed to the way it is now. Um, yeah, for sure. Do, do you it, it, Based on the way it is now where if the team get, that gets the ball first scores a touchdown, like do you, uh, independent of what you just said, do you find that that's a reasonable – approach or do you think that's an unfair one as we saw people complain during the playoffs when when Mahomes gets the ball and goes straight down the field and scores and that type of thing that's what I just said so if that happened in my rule Buffalo would have got the ball again and if they would have scored a touchdown they probably would have gone for two and the game would have been decided on a two-point play but they would have had an opportunity to win each team gets the ball once no matter what the outcome of the first team does whatever they do it doesn't matter because the other team is going to get a chance to either tie it or win it um okay um i like that uh you uh obviously being around this league for a long time you're on the road a lot um you obviously spend a lot of time here what's your favorite restaurant in the nfl city you can pick somewhere here or you can pick anywhere on the road what's your what's your favorite restaurant around the league you know what we never went out we had lunch before we jumped on the plane we get off the plane we got a team dinner uh, you got food on the plane. I feel like all I did on the road was eat. I gained about 30 pounds on each road trip. And after the uh, meal, you got your meetings and then you got another snack. So we, I didn't really go out. You know, I think, you know, go to Indianapolis. They got a couple of cool restaurants over there in Indianapolis for the combine that I frequented. Um, but uh, for the most part, you know, at Philly, at the Giants, at some of these great places with great restaurants, I never w- really went out. Um, well, I totally get that. At the same point, that feels disappointing. I feel like there's a, you know, there's a big myth that you think that they were on the road. Let's go have dinner with our family. No, no, no. There's no time because you get off the plane, you got maybe an hour before dinner. And then right after dinner, you got the meetings. Uh, that's an hour or so. And then you got team meeting, then you got the snack and then it's nine 30 or 10 o'clock and you're beat from the week and ready to get, get up early and get on the first bus and go play. Um, I, I know you still spend some time in this area, but does how about then in the, in this area, just in general, was there, did you have a, did you have like a go-to restaurant that you, oh, yeah, uh, that you, that you like? 
PC Prime every Friday still. You know, it's a great restaurant, great people. I always get a good steak there, split it nowadays. But, uh, you know, the atmosphere and the people there, uh, the staff is awesome. And uh, love it. All right. Um, obviously, there's a lot of good stuff that comes with being an NFL head coach. Perks that you get along the way and things we can maybe imagine. What's like a small perk that maybe we wouldn't we wouldn't know? But something that you just had access to, received, whatever it was. What's a small perk that you miss from your time as a head coach? Wow. Um, didn't have a lot of time really to use perks. You know, you're working quite a bit, contrary to belief. You know, I did get a Trump membership um, uh, at the golf course over there, uh, which was pretty good, but I only played it like once. Um, other than that, I don't remember really any perks. Obviously, financially, it was well taken care of. <laughs> well, like, nice. did you did you get like, I don't know, like, you know, free bagels every Monday or, you know, your, somebody, you know, detailed your, 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 your car because the, the, the place had a sponsorship or I don't know, anything, uh, anything like that? Oh, no, the car thing was always nice because if you got a flat tire, you just called somebody that came and gave you a different car. That was easy. That's probably the best one. You're probably right. But other than that, uh, nothing I can really think of. Wow. So you got a flat tire. They just don't they don't just fix the flat. They just give you a different a different car to use. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that, 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 that's a pretty good. Not, not that you want to get flats to have to use that, but that's a good. Uh, well, I, they used to get about four flats a year because I drove on this Red Hill Road to go to work and it was quite bumpy a lot of potholes that i'd clip at three o'clock in the morning and uh make that call sorry got another flat buddy (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that's pretty wacky you're getting four year that's uh that's a bit aggressive um uh, speaking of head coaching i don't really know how to ask this other than just to ask this you you obviously i'm sure would like would still like to be an nfl head coach and you were obviously (laughs) last coaching here therefore it'd be easier if you just stayed here you could still be the coach but since you uh, were let go in 2019, things have been crazy here for the last three years. I mean, just today, this morning, before I talk to you, I'm dealing with Congress and Dan Snyder going there and all that. And then there's everything that's happened over here in the last couple of years, investigations, name changes, all these things. Does any part of you, as much as you probably wish you had the job, think, wow, I'm really glad I don't have to deal with any of this stuff? Well, you never want to lose your job. Never. Um, I'm a great competitor and I really uh, was grateful for my time there. I liked the players that I coached and uh, some of the coaches that I worked with. Um, But I did feel like towards the end of my regime, I felt like too many guys jumped ship and were against me more so than with me. And uh, that environment you can't work with and uh, you have no chance. If everybody's on your team and going to fight through adversity with you, then sure, I would love to still be there. But I didn't feel that was the case. I felt like too many guys that were making important decisions uh, jump ship and were against me and, and try to do everything to bring me down more so than bring us up. And uh, you can't win in that environment. So it was necessary for me to get the heck out. Um, and that's what happened. Are you talking more about people in, in the building? Or are you talking about like players in the locker room type thing? Uh uh, not so much players, maybe a couple players, obviously, when you find out a lot about the character of people that you work with and coach um, when you hit adversity and you struggle a little bit. And unfortunately, um, when Alex got hurt, we were six and three. Uh, we finished seven and nine. And then the following year, uh, we tried to go with Case Keenum. He got hurt. Obviously, Haskins um, was a rookie and we started out 0-5. Um, 
that's when you start hearing the mumblings and the knives, you start to feel them prick your back a little bit <laughs> from all sorts of different angles. Um, so unfortunately, uh, it worked out the way it is. And that's usually the case in every organization in NFL history. Uh, you see eight or nine coaches a year get fired when they don't have the success. And uh, that'll continue to be the trend uh, for another 20, 30 years. So uh, unfortunately, if you don't win in this league, you get ousted. Uh, but, you know, you still like to keep people uh, on your side. You wish people would pull for you, not against you when they're in your organization. Does that sort of tie into the what you said earlier about wishing you had control over who was going to be on your staff, that type of deal? Absolutely tie in, yes. That's not just staff, that's players, that's uh, scouts, everybody. Gotcha. Um, and obviously you had to answer tough questions over, over time. There were always some sort of organizational questions that were probably outside of your, you know, price, you know, above your pay grade. But at the same point, you were the one who, who was standing up there, not Dan Snyder, not Bruce Allen. Um, and then, of course, um, you know, there, there's a, you know, a myriad of like football questions, the Trent Williams thing or, or other contract stuff. So you always had to deal with that stuff. But I said, obviously, the last couple of years, the topics are, you know, a lot more in, in, intense. Like as a guy who wants, I, you want to coach football. You're not taking these jobs to have to answer questions about the owner or Congress or things. So like how much of a frustration was it when you would see, Oh no, here's where this, here's where it's going to be the topics today. And this is outside of what I really want to get into. Yeah, that, that's tough. You know, before a press conference, you got to Google your name or Google uh, what's going on in the world. Or you count on your PR director to tell you, here are the issues. Here's what's probably going to be brought up. You try to be prepared as much as you can and not shock at the podium and look like a total idiot, a cl- uh, clueless coach, not knowing what's going on within your organization. So, uh, but that's your responsibility. That's your job to put out fires. You know, unfortunately, my last year and a half there, I felt like I was a fireman more so than a coach. I'm putting out fires all over the place. And uh, no disrespect to firemen. I know it's not even close to the the job that they do considering the the life-threatening job that they have uh, compared to mine. But you know what I'm saying is is you want to be able to coach your team. You want to be positive and talk about the good things. Unfortunately, we were talking about all the uh, other things that went on in our organization uh, that was more controversial, more so than, hey, let's talk about the play of our right guard. Let's talk about the play of our defense. Let's talk about the play of our young developing players. And uh, unfortunately, that wasn't never the case. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, they're definitely, I mean, certainly in the last few weeks here, it feels like we've talked almost exclusive we've talked way more about the off the field stuff whether it was the comments of jack del rio made recently again the 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 congress stuff these the investigation into the organization far more than we're asking about hey what's going on with uh replacing brandon scherf or or that type of deal and and you know as a a reporter like i I can promise you like we're not really loving to have to deal with these things either but when it happens and there's this over and over and over again you kind of have no choice so uh yeah I, i i get it like from the coaching perspective, it was like, you know, <laughs> kind of wish we didn't have to talk about some of these things, but at the same point, you know, especially here, it's just never, it never ends. Yeah. I think uh, the most important thing though, is to make sure that the team, the players and the coaches have their eye on the prize and stay focused on their job and their job only head coach can address the media uh, and talk about the ownership or whatever they need to talk about, but uh, it should be everybody in the building should be focused on, that day's practice, uh, what they're trying to accomplish in that practice and how that's going to affect them moving forward towards training camp and then towards their first game. Um, all right. Well, and then sort of lastly, and maybe this is the thing I probably should have led with, but like 
how how are you doing like kind of what's your uh you know what are you kind of up to these days i know you had a couple of uh uh interviews uh this past cycle um and so you're still looking to presumably stay in the game in some capacity but kind of where are you right now and and how are you doing with regards to you know your next steps in your career yeah i'm trying to stay in the game i'm doing a little bit of consulting work here and there you know helping some people out if they need it uh i think that's what old guys do nowadays is they get uh into the consulting roles (laughs) you know unfortunately I made one of the best coaching decisions I made was hire the youngest offensive coordinator in league history is Sean McVay. That actually uh, helped a lot of young coaches because after Sean McVay got the job at LA and did so many good things, now everybody's going younger. You know, you look at Green Bay, Arizona, Minnesota, Cincinnati, they're all going younger, uh, which is a good thing for these young coaches. It's not very good for these older coaches like myself. Um, But if I can stay involved in a consultant role, um, then I'll do that and have some fun. So you basically uh, kind of screwed yourself is what you're saying here. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, fair, fair, fair enough. Um, Jay, always a pleasure to talk. Uh, I asked you a bunch of random questions. Was there any, did you have any like football takes commanders or otherwise that I didn't, that I didn't ask that you've got to sit there in your holster ready to uh, ready to share? I've already I always got something in my holster, uh, but I, I have nothing right off the top of my head. Unless you bring it up, I can have a comment, but I'm, I'm pretty good. Fair enough. You got any? Uh, well, how about this? Because uh, I, I need I need to I'm about to take some days off. And I need a new binge watch show. You got any uh, recommendations or does the, the TikTok people tell you what shows I should watch? Yeah, I actually watched one the other day on Prime. It was called Wayne. It was kind of interesting, kind of cool. Wayne? What is that about? I don't I don't know that one about this young teenager who's a crazy son of a gun didn't have really much of a family life and uh just it was just interesting a lot of fun stuff to watch and i don't know i don't know all right well I'll, not I'll, great I'll... i mean but it was kind of fun to watch all right not 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 necessarily the biggest endorsement but all right i'll, I'll add it to the list of things to keep an eye on all right here's something to keep an eye on if you, jay gruden is on twitter at coach underscore jay gruden He's only got at this point. There's only 41 followers. He doesn't. He doesn't told the world basically that he's out there. So now, now, now you know. Now you know. Be nice. So I always tell people if you're going to engage, just be nice. You know, he's not here to be yelled at. So and, and just you know, That's probably why I don't have any social media because I would probably get yelled at a lot, and then I'd take it personal and I'd type back something bad, and then I'd be in the news again. Well, well, the key is, and I I've done this when it, when things get a. a, a, a get to be a lot just mute people who are not who you don't automatically follow and then you can look at the responses when you want to not when it's being shoved down your throat that 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 that'll help ease you in to to this uh world which i'm not encouraging you to necessarily get engaged in i'm just saying if you do that that's one way to sort of ease into it the mute button i wish i had that in a lot of different instances in my career <laughs> <laughs> uh no 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 doubt no doubt uh jay i appreciate it have a great summer work on that putting and uh we'll talk soon you got it. thanks ben all right joining the podcast as promised he is a guy who actually like we, we can all sit here and, and 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 give our thoughts on why these guys coming out of college basketball this guy actually coached against a bunch of these guys including the player who may be the number one pick in the draft. He is the new head coach of the George Washington men's basketball team. I, I can't really call you colonials much longer here. He is Chris Caputo. <laughs> well, hey, Ben, how are you? Great to be on with you. I, I, I appreciate you having me on. By the way, I'm, I'm used to uh, teams I cover changing their names. I was there when the Wizards right. went, to, went from Bullets to the Wizards. 
the the team the, the NFL team here has changed their name now twice in the last two years. So if you got any questions about name changes, just let me know. Well, what's funny is my my mother in law texted me today. She's in town and she said, "Hey, how about the Commanders?" And I said, "Yeah, mom, I, you know, not a big NFL fan, but like, yeah, the Redskins changed their name to the Commanders, so can't do that." <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't take I wouldn't take that one if I were you. I'm sure you guys will have a process and you'll figure figure it out. Um, yep. Right now, we're trying to figure out what this NBA draft. The Wizards have the tenth pick, but before we get to that, let me talk just quickly to you about how, what you're figuring it out. You just got hired what, a couple months ago at this point, yep. and we were just sort of discussing off air that it is a relentless journey here. You're not only recruiting the traditional guys coming in from college or coming in from high school, but you've got the transfer market is a huge deal. Now there's the NIL factor. Um, how, how is it going two months in? Are you, uh, are you thinking like, what did I get myself into here? Uh, no, it's, it's been great. You know, obviously anytime you change jobs, you know, there's going to be an adjustment period and uh you know, you're going to learn a lot of new things about new role that I'm in. Obviously, people talk about that, you know, being an assistant for 20 years and then making, the, you know, as they say, the, the slide over 11 inches or whatever it is to, to, to the seat where you're the head coach. But, you know, I was very well prepared by Coach Laranega. And, you know, having been in this area nine years at George Mason and, you know, the, the success we enjoyed there and the relationships that I built there with, you know, people like you and all sorts of people that, um you know, will serve me well. Uh, and, you know, everyone's been very, very welcoming. And, and I think there's a lot of people, you know, in the, in the not only the George Washington community, but in the, the DC community that would like to see George Washington be successful in basketball. There's a history of it here. Uh, you know, so I'm excited about the opportunity and, you know, we love the area. And as I've told people, I wasn't leaving Miami unless it was something really special. And you know, obviously this is a special place. Yeah, you're talking about not leaving Miami professionally. I think personally, there's lots of reasons to not leave Miami. So uh, it's got to be a good spot to get to, <laughs> to get out of out of that place. And obviously, GW's had had success, um, you know, in 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 relatively recent past. Well, well, well good luck with that. Now we're going to test your 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 town evaluation because you know, as we okay. said, you were with Miami for the last several years. You guys had a great run to the uh, Elite Eight last year. And you play yep. against a bunch of these guys in this draft. Let's start with the top. Now uh, we'll get to the where the Wizards' options are at ten. But at the top of the draft, you know you've got Jabari Smith from Auburn. You, of course, Miami beat Auburn last year, so you clearly had a had a had a yes. game plan for for him and and get a look there. You played in a conference with Duke, which means Paolo Bonchero, who is typically viewed as like the, the third guy in this draft, but I I liked him a sure. lot. He's there. And then you got Chet Holmgren, who is sort of a, I don't know if there's a star in this draft, but he seems to be the one that gets most attention because he's a skilled seven foot one guy who's skinnier than, uh, you know, olive oil. Yes. You know, incredibly yes, thin. Yes. So what, <laughs> how do you, I know it's all relative to what the team needs are and things like that, but just as prospects, what do you see as like for those guys, what, who stands out to you the most out of that group? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, start with Jabari, you know, the, the thing that, really you know jumped off the page watching him live um when we you know right before we're getting ready to play them we uh obviously we, we played we beat usc in the first round then get ready to play uh auburn you're watching auburn play jacksonville state 
and the thing that, you know, you see him live, and I saw him a bit in high school, but you're more focused on him in that situation is just how pure of a jump shooter he is. I mean, just a beautiful stroke for a guy, six, nine, a high release. Uh, it's really picture perfect. You know, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, he was in the, like a 95th percentile in the country and spot up shooting, um, you know, 42% from three as a six ten guy, you know, even shot, you know, a good percentage off the dribble. Uh, so just an elite shooter, uh, combine that with the idea that he is a, a defensive presence. He blocks shots. Uh, he affects shots. He can defend the post some. He can move his feet. And so you're looking at a modern player, right, in terms of, you know, his ability to make threes uh, and then defend multiple positions. So very, very high on Jabari. You know, he's not a creator and a finisher. I thought, uh, you know, that that was our game plan, right, was to get into his body, uh, make him a dribbler. You know, he could not look at shot. Like we call him dare shots, could never look at a shot, had to find them in transition to make sure that he wasn't getting free, you know, in the open court uh, for transition threes. And I thought we did a good job of it. Jordan Miller, who's a local guy, you know, from Loudoun County, uh, who, who, who played for us, uh, you know, at Miami, did a just an unbelievable job on him. So, uh, you know, with that, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about, uh, what Jabari can do, but, but I think, you know, from a modern standpoint, man, he really defends and he really shoots it. Um, am, am I wrong to be nervous about the Chet Holmgren thing? I just, I just keep thinking he's going to be in there against like Kevin Durant can be the same height and skinny and seemingly get away with it because he has, you know, the, other than Steph Curry, maybe the best shooter we've ever seen. And he's got this great, you know, ability to extend the ball high. You can't block it. I, I mean, I know Chad Holmgren has some range, but he's not that guy. Yes. I feel nervous about watching him with his lack of bulk inside against NBA big man. But I, I would agree. Yeah, I mean, he's a great finisher, you know, at the rim, obviously because of his size. He's a, he's literally was the number one rated defensive player in college basketball. But again, we all know defending in college basketball and defending the NBA are, are quite different. Uh, at the center position because, you know, there's so many, there's so many things you need to do in terms of versatility. Um, he's, what'll be interesting is can he move his feet on the perimeter? You know, uh, he's a good shooter uh, for his size, a very good shooter. But again, to your point, like, I don't think he's, uh, you know, a guy who's going to be, you know, putting it on the ground with guys hanging all over him, making, I think he can make an open three uh, at the college level. So, yeah, there might be some concern there. I think uh, the defensive numbers do jump out at me, uh, and obviously the finishing jumps out at me. Uh, he's got good touch. He moves like a really fluid player at his size, which is unique. But certainly being as thin as he is, you know, th th there's certainly some concerns. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what happens with him in this uh... – in this draft uh did you have a, i don't know how much you had a chance to watch Jaden ivy the the combo guard out of purdue if the wizards are going to trade up he may be the guy for them to target i've heard that they've shown yeah. interest in, in moving up to the fourth pick where sacramento is and that's maybe where that guy is um what, what's your view of him he didn't have a great yeah, finish I, at that in the NCAA tournament but obviously he's a pretty talented guy yeah i think um I think that, well, first I'll just go on Apollo because you had mentioned him. 
I really like Paulo. I think he's a jack of all trades. I don't know if he's a master of anything, but he really has just, you know, he can really uh, do a number of different things. He can play make, you know, he can, he can defend his feet. I think his ability to move his feet is probably better than people give him credit for at his size. Uh, you know, he can, he can make mid range jumpers. He can make a three a little bit flat, but I think he's got the touch to become a, a good three point shooter. Um, you know, like he just hasn't been that consistent and he's high risk, high reward as it relates to turning the ball over. Uh, so th that's my, my thought on him is, you know, can you be a, a great player without having a, a, a specialty in the NBA? Uh, Jaden Ivey, to me, man, his athleticism just jumps off the page when I watch him. I never coached against him. He was hurt last year when we played Purdue, uh, so he did not play. I watched him a little bit on tape. But, you know, like the one thing I would say with him is the guys that are stars in the NBA – a lot of times their athleticism just jumps off the page in college, almost jumps through the screen. And I think you see that with Jaden Ivey's ability to downhill drive and then, you know, make athletic plays at the rim. Good pick and roll player. He's got great defensive potential, obviously not a consistent shooter. And, you know, like who does he defend? Kind of a little bit in between there defensively. So th those will be the things, but man, is he a great, powerful athlete you know his mom's a coach got a great background there so he's an interesting player for sure is this one of these drafts because we've just not gone through a bunch of these guys and there's no obvious like wow this is the you know this is the guy to to, to get and I don't know I mean some of these players will emerge as all-stars but it's hard to it doesn't feel like anybody feels right. overly comfortable saying who is that guy is that kind of fair this is a little bit of a hope draft as opposed to feeling really confident that any of these guys are going to be particularly dynamic? Yeah, I would say there's a lot of, you know, in every draft, right. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to say it's down. That's not the term, but like, I think there's a lot of guys that I could see being starters and quality players in the NBA. I said during the year, I thought Paolo would be like, if he's, he's like the third guy on a championship team. Uh, is he, maybe he's better than that. Uh, but I think his low end is that, and I had an NBA general manager tell me, you know, Hey, Chris, he doesn't rebound it well enough. Uh, and he's probably right. You know, the, 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 deep, the rebound numbers just were not as impressive, uh, you know, as maybe some of the other things within his offensive. Arm. Um, if he makes threes at the rate he made in college, and block shots at the rate he made in college, he's going to be an all-star, I think. All right. Um, so then, like, when we get past the top, like, sort of five players, it then feels like the next, I don't know, six to eight guys, I'm not saying they're all the same, but every time I look at different mock drafts, the order is pretty wild. There's not a lot of consistency. Uh, you're talking about guys like Shaden Sharp, the, the wing from Kentucky, who basically didn't play. Last year, you got Dyson yeah. Dyson Daniels, a six seven guard who played for the G League Ignite team. You've got some kids uh, out of Duke, AJ Griffin, and the, the seven footer was it Mark Davis? Um, the, the Wizards need a point Mark guard. Williams, Mark Williams. Mark, yeah. Mark Williams. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Mark Williams. Um, you know the Wizards probably need a point guard above all, but they can't force it, and this just doesn't really look like a draft 
for that. Um, so I guess just in general of the players sort of in this next range, I didn't even name them all. Is there somebody for you that just kind of, boy, you really kind of hope this is the player that could slide just because you just like them as a player? Yeah, I mean, I think the guys, you know, Johnny Davis is a guy that like, you know, he he did a lot of things well, um, you know, as a, you know, I think as a guy who, you know, can, can play pick and roll, uh, you know, he plays great defense. He's got a big motor defensively. He really rebounds from the guard position, which I think is critical. Uh, you know, those guys that, that tends to, that tends to translate, you know, if he shoots it a little bit better, I think he's a guy who can make an impact, you know, AJ Griffin's one of the younger guys in the draft. Uh, and so I think, you know, anybody who shoots it like that with that type of body and athleticism, the same as the film on the college guys. And so it's interesting a guy from Kansas, you know, we played against him, you know, obviously a great, great college player, led his team to a national championship, a three and D guy in every sense. He's not a creator, but he really is a great athlete. He's got great size. I really like him. I think uh, I think he'd be a guy maybe, you know, who knows? You could see him going a little bit higher uh, just based on his body of work, you know. Uh, so those are some guys. Me, Jalen Durant. Uh, you uh, you cut out there for a sec. You were talking about the kid Duran. Just just you could quickly just sort of say that again. What 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 you see out of him because he's yeah, another so, guy who's in that range. Yeah, so the Wizards. I, I, yeah, I recruit. Yeah, we recruited him at Miami. You know, great kid, great mom. Uh, you know. He, he's got some offensive things that he's got to get better at, but he's a force defensively shot blocking, finishing uh, a world-class athlete, physical specimen uh, position, but he might be a guy that could make a three and there could be some value for him there uh, just as a, you know, a force uh, of nature, athletically got it all right well look i mean there's going to be some options we'll see what happens uh, i i kind of think the wizards should look to move the pick uh to get either to move up or to to get maybe ivy or to get a vet because they they need some more immediate help they don't need necessarily another kid especially in a draft that feels a little more crap shooty that said they'll probably be at 10 yeah. and they'll have some interesting options to say well, the least well i i think you know tommy has shown the propensity to try to improve the team. Right. And that's, you know, that I, as a fan, I think, you know, that if, if, if they're in that war room right now, they're throwing every option out there as to how to improve their team, you know, whether it be through the draft, whether it be trading the pick, whether it be through free agency, uh, you know, they're going to try to improve. There's no doubt about it. They've been aggressive there for that. For, for sure. And you've got in a completely new roster. Everybody turns it over at all times. Give me like a guy or two to, to that you're excited about that, that you've got coming in this year. Well, I think, I think the three guys that, that everybody, you know, kind of like, you know, is somewhat, you know, should be somewhat familiar with uh, because they both, they, they have local ties and they've had some success here at GW, you know, um, you know, James Bishop was an all conference player. You know, he, he's from, uh, you know, he's, he's from D.C. I mean, he's from Baltimore, rather, but but was uh, 
at LSU and then came here and, and was an all-conference player last year. He's a you know, really good scorer and a guy who works his tail off. And, you know, we're, we're excited about, you know, the type of year James can have. Uh, you know, Ricky Lindo, a, a D.C. native, you know, Ricky was at Maryland, had some success at Maryland. Uh, and again, another guy, he's, he's actually playing this week with the Panamanian national team. Uh, and, and he's a guy with great size and versatility. And, and then Brendan Adams, who is from Baltimore as well, and uh, was at UConn. And uh, again, all three of those guys, I think they're, uh, they very much match up with, right, like the history of GW having players from Baltimore and D.C., and then the modern era of uh, players transferring and, and finding new homes and finding new success. So uh, we're excited about those guys among some other guys uh, in the program. What's the deal? Are you, are you a guy that's coming and going, Hey, I want to play Georgetown, Maryland and all that stuff. You obviously are going to play Mason, this conference sure. game alone. Are you, are you into the, the locals playing yeah. each other? We've all, everybody's kind of gotten away yeah. from that the last few years. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think it's got to make sense, obviously, as, as, as you can imagine, right? Like we have to, it's got to make some sense for all parties. Um, you know, we've got a great building, uh, you know, with, you know, what we feel like can be an incredible environment. It's not a big building, but it's a place that, you know, like when, when it's packed can be special. And, um, and so getting maybe some of those teams into our place would be really awesome and unique. Uh, and yet I understand the history of, you know, playing, you know, Maryland, uh, you know, in a, in a neutral site situation, uh, and things like that. So, um, even, you know, GW and George Mason, I believe played Maryland, you know, on the road last year in a guarantee game. Uh, I wouldn't rule that out either. So I'm, I'm good. Uh, I'm good either way, but, but I, I would love to, you know, get those games going. Cause you know, it's great for the area. All right. We're going to put you down. It's a lock. You're going to play Maryland, Georgetown, all these schools. And we're putting it in as a definite, um, <laughs> just teasing. Um, all right. Well, well, look, you, the, the, the real point here is you're going to try to do everything you can to get GW improved. So we're talking That's about <laughs> postseason stuff and, uh, and, and, and that fun. And you've already guaranteed, you've already guaranteed you're going to play all the local schools. So we're, we're good there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Chris, man, I really appreciate it. I know I'm catching you while you're out doing all the things that you have no, to no, do. No. And, all and good. I'm always welcome. Always happy to be on. Glad that you had me on. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. We'll see what happens. And hopefully we have a chance to talk later on as we get closer to the season. All right. Appreciate it, Ben. Thanks so much. All right, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Many thanks to Jay Gruden for his time. And of course, um, now that we know he is at coach Jay, sorry, at coach underscore Jay Gruden on Twitter. So you can check him out there uh, if you so choose. He's not, he's not much of a tweeter at this point. So I don't know how much you're going to get out of it, but if you want to, if you want to hit him up, there he is. Uh, and, of course, thanks to Chris Caputo, new head coach at GW. I'll be excited to see what they can do. I, You know, you guys have heard me talk about this. I, I grew up a huge, huge, huge college basketball fan, and it's just such a bummer kind of where the sport is overall. And the locals have definitely kind of, you know, petered out here in recent years. There's a reason why there's a new coach at GW. Uh, you know, there's a reason why there's a new coach in Maryland. There's a reason why there was talk of possibly a new coach at Georgetown there's a reason why George Mason has had it hired a new coach for last season etc so um you know th there, there's things that can be improved upon we'll see what happens uh for sure but that is it for now here on the podcast uh 
We'll talk soon. Until next time, see ya.